Well, we are in the last week of a series we've titled 40. It's really through this season of what's called Lent. It's a journey that we follow the very journey of Jesus to the cross, to his death, and ultimately to his resurrection. And so in a sense, it's, a, it's kind of a gateway. We're concluding this series and entering into Holy Week. And so I just wanna remind you, whether you've been around for it or not, you can engage in this as we look at this passage, no problem. I just want you to understand 40. 40 is an image in the Bible. It's one that's used over and over and over and over again. And it doesn't signify quantity, it signifies image. And what it means is when there's a 40, there's some kind of testing going on. And make no mistake, it's not like testing that we do today where we test to see where people are. It's just an evaluation. What it's supposed to be is a transformation, meaning that when God tests, his intention is to elevate us, to raise us up, to encourage growth. As James says, that the testing of our faith basically matures us. That's God's intention behind any testing. And so where we're finishing today is in this testing of Jesus himself in him entering into what's called the wilderness for a time of testing. We're in Luke's account of the gospel of Jesus' life. It's the one of four accounts. And so we're gonna take it up in chapter four and we begin with these words describing it. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during these days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that for 40 days he wasn't hungry, and then suddenly he was. This is an image over time, but it's giving a beautiful understanding of what he lived through in all of this. Now, to get a few pictures of this, 40 days is important. We talked about that already, but I want you to see a couple other pieces. One is that he is full of the Holy Spirit, and he is led by the Holy Spirit. Now, as it speaks of being in the wilderness, this would hearken the reader back to other things that have happened. So I want you to understand Jesus in the context of this. Jesus is referred later after his resurrection by Paul, one of the earliest church leaders, as a second Adam. And what that means is where humanity, Adam meaning all of humanity, Adam and Eve, failed, where we sin, where we mess up, Jesus is going to create a new trajectory. It isn't simply that he atones for it, though he does offer forgiveness and new life, but he offers a new way of living. Let me just give you a picture from this very passage because we go back to Israel's history. Israel is in slavery to Egypt. It parallels our slavery to sin. In other words, the mess we've created through what we've done and what's been done to us. When Israel comes out of it, God parts the waters and through the waters, they come to new life. And as they come into new life, they ultimately will enter a desert where as we learned last week from Thad, their hearts are revealed. In other words, in this desert place, they find out what's inside of them. And we learn that they don't have good things inside of them and they're a mess in the desert. Now, let me parallel that with Jesus. Jesus, after all his years of anonymity, the first thing that happens in Luke in his public life is he is baptized. The waters are parted. That's what Jesus walks through. Just as Jesus walks through that, the first Adam, this first people of Israel, walk through the desert, walk through this water to find new life. Now, what's going to happen now is he is going to go in the desert like Israel did, but as the second Adam, he's going to offer a solution, a way through it. Now, what I want to be clear on, Jesus is both God and man, and we can write it off as because he's divine, he just does it all right. There's no pressure for him. 
What is he? Full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit. Make no mistake, we're gonna talk about some applications today, but Jesus' path and model is one who is led by the Spirit and full of the Spirit. Can you and I be that? You bet we can. So he's giving us a pathway. Now, in case you think this is isolated, let me give you one from Holy Week so you see it again. And maybe even more clearly, in the beginning of time, Adam and Eve are in a what? Garden. And in this garden, they're offered anything they want except for one thing that's called a forbidden fruit. They choose that, which in essence is choosing their own way. They don't want to be subject to God. They want to find their own way. And for all of history, we've been doing the same thing ever since. Every one of us, we struggle with that. Now, let me take you to Holy Week. Jesus, the night he's betrayed, is in a place of Gethsemane. What's Gethsemane? It's a garden, in case you don't know. I'm not that all of you would. In that place, a garden, our second Adam doesn't, ask, doesn't say I have to have what I want. He says, if you'd take this cup, knowing he's gonna die and suffer, but he says these powerful words, not my will, but yours be done, Father. In other words, the second Adam comes through this perfect man and fully God and pathway for us says, I surrender everything of mine for what you want. Do you get the picture? I want you to see that Jesus is a new path for us. He offers forgiveness. He offers reconciling and redemption, what we call paying the price for us, but he also offers a new way to live. So I want you to get it because as we look at these temptations, it's not just to look and go, well, I couldn't do that, and he did. It's to say he's offering us something new as we're full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. So we're gonna look at three temptations. That's what he has in here that we see and see what the root of them is and what God might offer us. Before we do it, I want you to understand this too as we look at Luke 5, and that's simply that this doesn't happen one time. It's not like Jesus does it and it's all good. This is describing what he did regularly. Jesus often withdrew to what? Lonely places and prayed. Do you know that the word for lonely places is the same word for wilderness? In other words, Jesus didn't just get tempted in the wilderness one time. In his humanity, in those places of loneliness and aloneness, he had to wrestle with his humanity, even in his divinity. And he's telling us this is a journey of life. This is not a momentary change. But remember too, it's a lonely place. It's a place of seeing what you ache for and want that's not of God. But is he really alone? Who's with him? The Holy Spirit. I don't want you to miss this because we're gonna give you application and I'm concerned you're gonna hear it and go, well, now it's up to me. I gotta do it right. And what it is, is it's up to God in you to help you live differently. Okay, let's go at these three temptations. First one, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And then Jesus answers, which he does in every context with scripture, man shall not live on bread alone. Now, a couple of things I want to just highlight for you, and then we'll get to the centrality of this. Jesus quotes uh, from many places in the scriptures, do you know, and I'm not asking for an answer, I want you just to consider what book you think he would quote the most. And it's Deuteronomy. Now, those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, Deuteronomy is literally means the second telling of the law. That would look at me and you and go, that's really the book he picks? But maybe it tells us we don't understand some of these Old Testament books very well because we tend to dismiss them. And yet there's beautiful power in them. So what we're looking at in this first one is that it's Jesus' appetite. Just think of the word appetite. Satan is appealing, you are hungry 
make this better in your appetite. Now, when you think of Adam and Eve, their sin is founded around their appetite. And it isn't just food, though we think of it this way, and we tend to associate appetites with food. We all have appetites for things that are for ourselves at the expense of others that somehow elevate us or things we shouldn't have that God has said that's out of bounds. Every one of us craves and has appetites that are not healthy in all sorts of ways. Jesus is now offering us a response. Man shall not live on bread alone. And make no mistake, he doesn't simply mean man, he means humanity. When I read this at first, I started thinking of all the things I would put after this. Man does not live on bread alone, but on lobster and on steak and on really nice cheesy potatoes and just trying to get you hungry today. It's a rabbinic tool to only give part of the verse. The rest of it says, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, when we struggle in our appetite, the place we find hope in that temptation is to feed on the very scriptures, the word of God, the very presence of him. And make no mistake, it is not about information. It isn't that we read it so we have information. In fact, some of us approach it this way. You know what? If I get tempted, I'll just Google it. I'll get a passage I need and then I'll use it. That is not what Jesus means in this, though I know that can be helpful to know them. Jesus is talking about something that happens when we're engaged regularly on feeding on the very words of God. It's interesting because there are several things in the Hebrew scriptures that give us image of this. One of them is he actually says, open wide your mouths and I will fill it. In other words, God's speaking that I will fill you through who I am. The rabbis understood this in the, what's called a centering verse called the Shema in the Hebrew scriptures where it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And then he says, these commandments today are to be upon your hearts. This is how they understood it. When you focus and you fill yourself regularly with these words of God, they sit on your heart. And over time, as you reflect, as you pray, as you seek him, they go into your heart. And the psalmist says it this way, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. This is the only way I can say it, and it it sounds harsh, but I mean it in deep love. In all of history, we've never had more access to Scripture and never been more biblically illiterate and biblically engaged. And I don't know how to help us through appetite unless we engage. And not to check it off the list, but to discover the God of the universe speaks to us when we do this. Jesus' response to appetite is feeding on God's words and who he is. That's our first and wonderful help in the midst of all of this mess that we live in and what God has for us. Let me take you to the second one. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, said to Jesus, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to if you will Worship me, it'll all be yours. Jesus answers, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, I want you to think about this. The first one's appetite. This is ambition. I want you to think of it as ambition. Every one of us have godly ambition and fleshly ambition. And if you wonder if it's a bad ambition, if it's about elevating yourself above others, it's a bad ambition. There's something wrong with it. Think of it this way. 
you know, the idea of a genie coming to you and saying, you can have anything you want, what's your wish? That's kind of how we live with ambition. What do I want for me? It can be wealth. It can be power. It can be for everything to go well and have no problems in your life and be comfortable. It could be just for you to be loved and affection from everyone in every way. I don't know what your ambition is, but every one of us have it that say, God, I'll love you if this goes about, if my life works out this way. No, I love Jesus' response to it because what does he say the antidote is? It's worship. I, I wanted you to just to think about it this way. I have my own ambitions, things I want in my life. When I allow myself to kneel and I have the posture of saying, God, you're the one I want this for, not me. It changes what happens. When I worship, when I look at who he really is, something changes in my ambition. It was interesting this week, I had a, a friend uh, text me who doesn't live in our community but comes and attends periodically. We've been friends since college. And he just wrote me and said, I am praying for you this week. I know it's a huge season for the church. And then he just reminded me of some artists that we loved back in the uh, music artists, Christian artists. One of them was Keith Green. He reminded me of, and I think he might even mention the song uh, that's called I Pledge My Head to Heaven. And I, I decided I would listen to it after he had mentioned it. The, the way the lyric goes is, I pledge my life, I pledge my, I pledge my wife, I pledge my son, I pledge my head to heaven for the gospel. In other words, what he's saying is, God, you're God. Whatever you want is what I want. And interestingly, Keith Green, this author, died not long after this song in a plane crash where his son passed too. And it was the weirdest thing, but I, I'm driving, listening to this song, and I just start weeping. And I know it's a work of God because I'm sitting there going, something is tenderizing in me that's messing with my ambition for the sake of who God is. I'm seeing him in something greater than I am now. Now, just to finish this, I got home and I was the only one home and my cute little dog is sitting up on the stairs and I am sobbing. I mean, I'm just sitting there like, what is the matter with me? I'm finding as I get older, I'm more affected. My poor dog followed me around the rest of the afternoon. I think she felt sorry for me or something. But I know my ambition melts when I really look at who God is. You know, I think about it when we sing together. That's one of the aspects of how we worship. And there are some of you, you love the way we worship and you get caught up in that. Some of you have different preferences that you wish we did things different way. Neither of you in any camp you're in is where we want it to be. I just want to look and go, you know what? I love at least this time in the week and I want it to be other parts of the week that we engage in who God is and that in that he can melt our ambition. Because it's you, it's not me, it's you, it's not me. And let me just give you a practical thought on this. Just consider it this way. Did God make you so the world would go the way you want? Or did he invite you to join him in what he wants? And just consider which you think might be better. I know that you're smart people, but you are not that smart. And neither am I. I'll give you anything you want. No, 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 no. I just want to bow the knee. God, I want to see you as you are. The antidote for ambition is worship. 
Let me take you to the final one. The devil led him to Jerusalem, to the very center of life, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, I'm going to challenge your identity now. Throw yourself down from here. And he actually now uses the scripture to try to manipulate Jesus. It is written, he'll command his angels concerning you. This is Psalm 91, to guard you carefully. They will lift you up into their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, Jesus answers, and this is another quote from Deuteronomy, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, to understand this helps us to understand this. When he says this, this is a text in Deuteronomy where he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did in a place called Massa. Now, what happened in Massa was Israel had been led out of Egypt. They'd been brought to freedom. They're now in the wilderness. God is providing manna for them and quail for them, everything they need, And they are now complaining because they're thirsty. And God's even provided water before. And they begin to challenge, Moses, why did you let God do this? God doesn't really love us. God isn't for us. And when he says, don't test as you did in Massa, what he's saying is they have lost a sense of identity and they do not believe God's love and acceptance. And they're demanding it. Show us that you love us and accept us. We don't buy it. I want you to understand acceptance is at the center of this problem right here. And it's a picture that we can all do, whether we're Christ followers or whether we live in a place of just discovering and looking to understand it, that we all struggle with acceptance. As sons and daughters, every one of us in different places, we get accepted because we do good work. We get accepted because of how we relate to other people. We get accepted because we're funny, because we're productive, because we're brilliant, because we are athletic or strong or providing. Every one of us struggles with acceptance. This is a core temptation of identity. And what I want you to understand in it is Jesus' very life. Jesus, at his baptism, has not done anything publicly to minister. He's not shown the kingdom in any way through these first 30 years. What his father says to him is, this is my son, and I am pleased. He speaks of the son's identity without having done anything. I want to say that again. I know you get it here. I want you to get it here. He speaks of Jesus' identity without doing anything. You see, God accepts you as his son and as his daughter through what Jesus has done. Acceptance comes independent of achievement and activity. It is a precursor, not what we do to accomplish acceptance. I want you to see this picture because it's really important. Everything Jesus battles in this wilderness and in temptation, he battles are all issues of identity. Appetite, ambition, acceptance. We all question whether we'll be okay without these things. And in everyone, the response is, God's enough, you're his son and daughter. It's a beautiful picture for us. Now, after all of this happens... This is how the text concludes in this section. When the devil had finished the tempting, he left him for an until an opportune time. In other words, he's gonna come in and out and continue to torment. Jesus returned to Galilee, how? In the power of the spirit and news spread about the whole area because of this. 
I want you to get a picture of what happens in the lonely places. In these places of wilderness, in these places that we're exposed to what's inside of us, the mess inside of us, our appetites, our ambition, our longing for acceptance. When Jesus went into the wilderness, the Holy Spirit played a part. He was full of the Spirit and he was led by the Spirit. You see, I want you to consider what God might be challenging and encouraging and inviting you to in the areas of appetite and ambition and acceptance. But I want you to see one more thing because Jesus' public ministry grows out of this and this is what it says that it didn't say before. He returns how? In the power of the Spirit. In other words, while God's presence is with us, and it is, something powerful happens that ignites what he wants to do out of the loneliness and struggle in our inner world. In other words, in those places of wilderness, in those lonely places, in the places we are exposed by the presence of God's very spirit, he wants to move us from appetite to his word filling us. He wants to move us from ambition to the worship of his way. He wants us to move from driving to get acceptance from operating as sons and daughters and power comes out of that. I hope you realize how amazing that is. We want the journey superficially. God's saying the journey is one of dependence and desperation and the spirit moves. You can't manufacture this. It's not like you're going to go, oh, I got an appetite. You know what? I'm just going to start reading the Bible. It's all going to get better. That's you alone. But in your appetite, you can say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Oh, help me long for the very words of your presence to change me. When you have ambition, you can't say, I'm just going to will ambition away. But man, you can drop to your knees and go, Holy Spirit, oh, Holy Spirit, will you awaken me to who the Father is and the ways of the Father and the perfectness of the Father, that it would change what I seek instead of me, that I may join Jesus in the garden and say, not my will, but yours. There may be places where we sit and go, I am not accepted. I am tormenting over just feeling like I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. And I'm reminded of it from my past and my present. But man, I'm telling you, in those lonely places, Holy Spirit, Will you show me the love of God that you would say, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, that I'd walk differently and live differently? I hope you're getting a picture that this isn't just a nice journey we look at and go, Jesus changed it. Jesus didn't just change it so that we could see it. He shows us the way through it. And he does it by his spirit in us. I mean, I think these are great ideas and applications, but let's be honest, you and I can't do it alone, can we? Man, we need the Spirit. Oh, we long for the Spirit. And here's the beautiful thing. You can't pretend and you can't work hard enough to get the Spirit. But man, all you gotta do is go, I need you. I need you. Help. I wanna pray for us, but I want us to consider wherever we are in this journey of faith with Christ. And I want you to recognize, I'm not even thinking, do you follow Christ or don't you? I want you to think about those of you who are here and you're searching I'm simply asking the Lord, what's a step he might have for you to move closer to Jesus? Maybe if you have doubts, it's I'm gonna actually explore who Jesus is and what he has for me. And your simple prayer is, how do I begin to do that? I'm gonna engage more in the life of the church. I'm gonna start 
doing some activities. We're gonna be starting groups out of Easter, maybe something like that. For some of you here, you've been searching and you're going, you know what, this makes sense. I get it. And for you today, it's not just I kind of like this. It's Lord Jesus, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I'm one of the first Adams or the first Eves. I can't do this alone. Thank you for your death and forgiveness and your new life. Not only forgive me, fill me and change me. Oh, what a step that'll be today. And then any of us who'd say we follow Christ, I guarantee you it's not fully completed in any of us. I don't know if it'll be one of these three areas God highlights. I don't know if it'll be an overall piece where you go, I've been spending my whole Christian life putting it back on me. I just have to try harder. I have to work more at this and going, I'm gonna learn what it means to be dependent. Holy Spirit, help. But it might be a simple step in that help. Help as I read. Help as I worship. Help that I recognize my acceptance in you as I walk. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask in the moment that we are right now, I know your spirit's breathing life. I pray wherever we are in this journey that you'd meet us. God, I pray we'll make movement towards Christ by the help and power of your spirit, that you'll teach us what it means to follow you. And Lord, you'll teach us what it means that you live in us and you change us. I pray for those searching, they'll be drawn closer. I pray for those who today would go, I'm ready, that they'd respond to relationship with you. They'd receive forgiveness and they will start walking with you. I pray for the rest of us who follow, follow you, where we're kind of dead in this, you'd awaken us. Where we have an area of struggle, you would help us in the lonely places by the power of your spirit to be changed. And God, as we enter Holy Week, may it be a new day. Not just that we remember back, but we newly live in the awakening and presence and power and life of your spirit. I pray this in your holy name. And all of God's people said, amen.